Well, our series is called Life, Inc., and we've been talking about things that mark, mark us for life. In the first message, we talked about the beautiful markings that people put on us, and we kind of talked a little bit about tattoos and how that the people who mark our spirits and our souls with good things are such a blessing in our lives. And we did that on Mother's Day, and it was really fitting and, and a perfect message for Mother's Day, I felt. And then the next week, we talked about some of the markings that people put on us that stay there for life that are pretty ugly, and that message was called scar tissue, and we talked about the importance of healing right. Last weekend, it was called hidden. We talked about how that we get markings in, in life that are below the surface, and no one else knows they're there, but they, they tend to govern a lot of our, our choices and decisions. But today, I get to bring you one of the most powerful messages that I feel like God has ever given me. And I was just back there praying right before I came out, and, and I just said, Lord, this is going to be the day that someone is going to turn around and know you, and their eternity is going to be transformed. I just really believe that, and it may be you. You may be the one. You may have come in today, and you're still kind of in a fog, and you're trying to know what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong and who you should follow. And I pray that in this message today that God will just blow all that fog away and that you'll have such clarity that you'll be able to make the choice that makes all the difference in the world. Our message today is called Piercings. And it's about the marks that we put on Jesus. We've talked about being marked for life. How about being marked for eternity? You know, I I see people from time to time who get tattoos and, and... you know, some people have, you know, maybe one or two, and, and then some will have their bodies just covered. And I always wonder, what were they thinking when they decided to make that choice? And sometimes I wonder, especially when I, I run into younger people with tattoos, and, and I'm not being accused of, I'm just curious. I, I want to know, were they really serious? Were they serious enough when they got the tattoo? Maybe they were just doing something to fit in with their friends. Maybe it was just something at the last minute. Maybe they were a little bit drunk or high when they got the tattoo. But there's one group of people that I always know are serious, and those are the people with piercings. Now, I'm not talking about pierced ears, you know? I mean, a lot of you guys and ladies have pierced ears, and you you wear earrings, and there's nothing wrong with that because, I mean, it it just looks like God made that skin for something, right? It's just kind of flabby and hangs there and doesn't serve any, any really anatomical purpose, so it's just begging for something, Right? And so if you go and you get something shot there and, and you get a piercing and everything, that's, that's kind of, I mean, we all understand that, and, and a lot of us have, have those piercings. But it's the other piercings that kind of make me know people who got them were serious. Because I run into people who have piercings, you know, all in their eyebrows and in their nose and tongue. Oh, man, just thinking about that. If any of you guys have that, I just want to tell you, aside from the value judgments associated with that, my hat is off to you because I know you were serious when you had that done. And, and then when I'm traveling, sometimes especially on the left coast or, or, or east coast or whatever, I, I see people, you know, maybe they'll, they'll be in, in swimsuit or stuff, and, and they'll have piercings in places. I just know God did not intend for that spot to be poked with anything hard. And... But I know this, I know that the people who, who get them are serious because it's a choice. You know, I mean, if, if, if I, and I always want to ask, them, I'm just curious, you know, I'm a curious person. I want to say, why did you do that? What, what made you? And not, not in an accusative kind of way, I, I just really want to know. I mean, I, I want to know what, what, what led you to accept 
those piercings because it was a choice. I mean, if somebody told me, well, hey, I didn't want these, but I, I, I round up in gang territory and they chased me down and they put all these holes in my body and pierced me with all these things, I could say, well, I, I understand that. But these are people who choose it. And I want to know why. Well, you know, that's just body stuff. These bodies that we live in are temporary and they're only going to last for a while anyway. So I'm not, I'm not focused on your body. That's not my gig this morning. What I'm focused on is somebody else who got a lot of piercings. And I want to know why. Because let's just be honest. And you may come here today and you may have a very anti-religious feeling. You may think that all religions are a crock. And you see pictures of a man hanging on a cross and you're saying, I don't get that at all. One thing I have to say to you is, at least, that's a fair question. Why did he accept all those piercings? Because he didn't get himself on the wrong side of the powers that were, and they, they held him down and forced him down and, and then put a nail in his, each one of his hands and a nail through both of his feet. And then, you know, they didn't forcibly beat those thorns into his head against his will because he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. If you want to know how powerful he is, remember this. Jesus is not an ordinary man. He is God and human at the same time. That's why he was born of a virgin. He had a natural human mother, and God is his father. So Jesus, although he experienced life as a human being, he is God and human at the same time. So much so that in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John would say he made everything. There was nothing made, nothing created, that he was not involved. That's why the Bible says at the beginning, let us make man in our image. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The, the person we know as Jesus was there on creation morning. I think he was the one who did the speaking because the Bible calls him the Word, and the Bible says he spoke this place into existence. He said, let it be, and it was. The reason why I'm giving you all that is the night that Jesus was arrested, this crowd of... of um, officers, police officers, and, and, uh, and army soldiers, Roman soldiers who came to, to, to arrest Jesus. They, you know, Judas kissed him, and they, he identified Jesus. And, but Jesus asked them a question. He said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's what happens next that shows me that Jesus did not have to die on the cross. Let me tell you what happened. When, when Jesus said... When he answered their question, when, he, when, when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus just said two words. In, in our translation, sometimes it's three words, but Jesus only said basically two words. He said the words, I am. Now, those are very, very important words in the Bible. Do you remember when, you know, God called a great man to follow him, and he said, I can't tell people that I'm following you and that I'm going to lead them because they're going to ask me what your name is. And in those days, the Hebrews could not pronounce the name of God. It was so sacred and so holy. There were no vowels in the name, and it could not be pronounced. It was a tetragrammaton. And so this servant of God said, well, they're going to ask me. You know, Moses knew that, that when he got back to the Jews, they were going to say, well, who sent you? And Moses said, I've got to have some kind of name. And God said, go back and tell them I am has sent you. Now, that word means the self-existent one. You and I are not self-existent. We don't depend on ourselves. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you've got to believe in yourself and depend on yourself. And I kind of know what they're talking about. But let me just tell you this. If God decides to shut my lights off, everything goes dark. 
because I depend on him for my life. Like Paul said, in him we live and move and have our lives. I'm not self-existent, but God is. God doesn't depend on anybody. He doesn't ask anybody any permission. He doesn't ask anybody any favors. And when he comes, let me just tell you this, when Jesus comes back, and I think he's coming soon, when he comes back, he's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. He is God. So all throughout the Bible, God would identify himself as I am. I am the self-existent one. Hayah is the Hebrew word. I, me is the Greek word. And when they came to arrest Jesus, that's what he said. He said, I, me, I am. And the force, just the force of those words knocked the soldiers down like a roast. I mean, it knocked them flat on the ground, just the force of those words. So I assure you, he didn't have to lie on that cross. He chose to. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I'll lay it down and I'll pick it back up when I'm ready to. That is the one you worship if you worship Jesus Christ. But therein lies the question, why? Why would he be pierced? I mean, the Bible says someday he's coming back on a white horse to be king of kings and lord of lords, and a crown is going to be on his head. Hey, I understand that. I, I say crown him lord of lords, but I, I struggle with why all the piercings if he chose them. Hey, let me take a break. If we're still writing about a man or woman 750 years after he or she dies, that's an important person, right? But can you imagine somebody being written about 750 years before he lived? That would be real interesting. And beyond that, we would know that God is involved because nobody knows the future. Well, there was a guy named Isaiah. He was a preacher and a prophet, and he lived 750 years before Jesus was born. But for some reason, God just would get close to Isaiah, and he would tell him stuff about the person, Jesus, who was coming. And God told Isaiah all kinds of exciting things. And for instance, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God told Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Well, that's, if I was Isaiah, man, I would rub my eyes and make sure I got that message from God because I know biology, and I know that's never happened before. But God told him it's going to happen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You know, there's coming a, a king, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. God just told Isaiah these things. But when Isaiah was writing chapter 53, God did something that still amazes us to this day. It was as if God put Isaiah as a reporter at the foot of the cross. And Isaiah has his laptop out. And he is writing the story for the Jerusalem Post the next day. Because it's as if he is watching the cross. And God has given him the words. Again, this is 750 years before Jesus was born. Let's read. Verse 2, my servant, talking about Jesus, grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Now we're getting warm here, verse 4. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. 
It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Now, here we go. You ready? We're about to enter what I believe is the Holy of Holies of the Bible because now we're going to find out why the piercings. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why Jesus was pierced. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. That's what Isaiah is saying. Now, when I look at Jesus on the cross, I have to say to myself three things, and I want to say them to you today, and we're going to celebrate communion in a few moments, and my prayer is that communion will be more meaningful today than it ever has been in your life before because of what we're going to talk about. If Jesus came to our world as a religious leader like, like Buddha or like Muhammad, if he came as a religious leader and said, hey, I'm going to teach you guys a better way to live, and that was it, then we would say, okay, we have a religion. But we don't have a religion here. I mean, this is why I absolutely despise religion. People try to put religions, you know, on an equal plane and say, well, how do you know one religion is better than another? None of them are any good. I'll tell you right now. None of them, are, all of them are worthless. Religions are not some sort of entities. Those are, those are constru- they're, they're constructs. They're things that are made up in people's minds and heads. It means flailing attempt to reach God. We have something totally different here than a religion. We have somebody who is dying in your place to accomplish something with God. So what do I know about the piercings that are in Jesus' hands and his feet and his head and his side? I know, first of all, it tells me my sin is a lot worse than I think it is. Many times we don't think our sin is so bad, but I want you to listen. Listen to the, those of you who like algebra, listen to the, listen to the equation here. The Bible says he was pierced for my rebellion. That means there's an equivalency here between the punishment Jesus received and all those piercings and the nails that went into his hands and feet and my rebellion. There is an equivalency there. If he was crushed for my sins, there's an equivalency. My rebellion deserved his piercing. My sin deserved his crushing. Well, I know the moment I use the term sin... It's going to freak some of you because you're going to say, "Uh uh-oh, here comes that religious talk about sin. And one of the things that gets to me when I listen to people talk about sin is that often they'll think about some particular thing. I mean, they'll talk about sin as like breaking the Ten Commandments or sin is like doing something really bad like cheating on your mate or or lying on your income tax or sin is like, you know, losing it and, and committing some sort of crime. Well, those are all sins. But that's not what the Bible is talking about. See, sin has always separated us from God. Sin is something different. And and let me give you a couple of definitions that the Bible gives for sin that hopefully will help us understand why our sin is so bad and why our sin deserves such punishment. Sin means, first of all, to miss the target. A lot of you, you you work in places where goals are set for you. You have numbers. 
Have you ever been called in by your supervisor and your supervisor's given you a review and he said, hey, you know what? You didn't make your numbers last month. You know what? Last quarter, you didn't get your quota. Uh, this year, uh, you just, you know, we set a target for you in your last review and you're just not making it. That's the first thing that sin means, believe it or not, is God said we didn't make our numbers. We missed the target. We, we did not reach our goals. There are a lot of ways to sin. You know, I have, I have numbers that I don't make. I sin against myself. I have, a, I have a plan for my life. I want to be at my best. How many times do we disappoint ourselves, and we're the ones who are the supervisors talking across the table to ourselves, and we say, hey, Mark, you didn't make your numbers last month. You know, I, I wanted you to be so much more, and you didn't, and I sin against myself. Then we have expectations, legitimate expectations of the people in our lives, and when we don't make our numbers in that regard, we sin against them. But you know what? When my life is over, I'm not going to stand before Mark and give an account to Mark for missing Mark's numbers. And as important as you are, I won't stand before you and give an account for missing your numbers. But I will stand before God. And God has a quota for all of us. God has a standard and goals for each one of us. And those standards are to follow his ways 100% and to be right and not do wrong And the truth of the matter is, every one of us, from me to you to Billy Graham to Mother Teresa, according to the Bible, every one of us has missed our numbers. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3. All have sinned and come short. Do you see how that's coupled together? All of us have sinned by missing our goals. All of us have sinned by missing our targets. You may think you're a good person. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to God's targets, God's target is perfection. And we've all missed those numbers. That's why our sin is so bad. The second definition for sin means to step across the line. How many of us have been there? We knew that line was there. People have told us all our lives. The the preacher had told us the line was there. Our parents told us the line was there. We'd read enough of the Bible to know that God had some lines. We, we read those lines, you know, in the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't wish you had something that belongs to somebody else. I mean, these are lines that God puts in, and we say, well, okay, I'm going to come up right up to that line, but I'm going to step just, ah, but then we step across that line. And we hate ourselves for it. I got a lot of lines in, in my life that I've stepped across. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Well, how many? I'm already in trouble because I've always missed my numbers and I've always stepped across the line. And see, that's why I talk to people sometimes and I say, "Do Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And they'll say, yeah, I really think I am because I'm a pretty nice person. But what does that have to do with missing our numbers and stepping across the line? Because even if I could be perfect the rest of my life, which I can't be perfect for 30 minutes, But if I could be perfect the rest of my life, what am I going to do with the last 50 years? Our sin is bad, far worse than we think it is. But we tend not to. We live in a politically correct era, you know, era where we don't talk about sin a whole lot. And many times, we don't think our sin is very serious. I think we don't think sin is serious for three reasons. And, and check these out and see what you think about them. But many of us, you know, even people, people like us who are people of faith, we come to church and we say, well, you know, my sin is not so bad. Oftentimes it's for, for, for these three reasons. Listen to, to, to what these are and, and see what you think. First of all, I think we, we tend to think our sin is not so bad because everybody does it. You know? Hey, everybody's doing this. 
Yeah, I, I, I fudge, you know, I tell white lies and things, but everybody does it. And I talk to people from time to time, and they'll say, well, hey, Mark, I know I'm probably not going to heaven, but I'm going to go to hell with all my friends. I'll tell you what, if you wind up going to hell, first off, it's not going to be a keg party, and you're not going to hang with your friends. It is an awful place. I mean, that's the only place that a person can pay for his or her own sins. God didn't make hell for people. God made hell for Satan and his angels. But with sin, what else does God do? But there are people that say, well, hey, I, I, you know, I just do what everybody else does. And, and you know what? It's a group project. But really, when it gets right down to it, are you really willing to, like, plan your whole eternity based on what everybody's doing? You know what? My mother used to tell me, if everybody's jumping in the lake, you don't have to jump in the lake. I'd tell her everybody's doing something. You know, she said, if everybody jumped off a mountain, would you jump off a mountain? We've all heard our parents tell us that. But even if everybody did go to hell, would you want to go? Not the way Jesus is going to describe it. I think there's a second reason why we tend to think our sin is not so bad. And, and, and that our sin is not, we say, well, you know what? I know somebody who does a lot worse than I. I, have, I, know, somebody, I know somebody that goes to New Spring Church. I, I don't follow Jesus, but I know somebody down at that New Spring Church, and that person is a real jerk. Or that person, hey, listen, if Mark knew what that person was like, at, at Hawker Beechcraft, or if Mark knew what that person was like at Coke, he wouldn't even let that person in the church. Because what I do is maybe bad, but it's not as bad as somebody else. There's a third reason why I think people think that our, our sin is not that bad, and that is you can do something really bad, and life tends to rock on. And you can say, well, Mark, I was really scared when I had that affair. I thought, man, lightning's going to strike me from heaven. But I woke up the next morning and had breakfast. There was even a thunderstorm. Lightning didn't even strike me. I guess life rocks on and it's not so bad. And yet here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and this is hard for me to say, and I promise you, I'm, I'm the most conciliatory person in the world, and this just really breaks my heart to have to say it. If I could find any way around this, I would, I promise you. But the Bible says sin takes people to hell. I wish I didn't even have to say that there was a hell. And you know, people say, well, you know, if there's a God of love, you know what? If there's a hell and God says people who don't receive Christ or who pay for their own sin go there, what good does, what does, it, what good does it do for me to, to get into God's face and say, if you're God of love, I mean, if it really exists, what difference does it make? Listen, Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else, and he talked about a guy in Luke 16. The rich guy, we don't know his name. He just was rich and didn't care about anybody else. He's very American, even though he lived outside his time. The Bible said the rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. Someone could say, well, Mark, hell is just a metaphorical kind of thing. Does that sound metaphorical to you? Sounds pretty definite to me. I mean, here is a guy that didn't have any time for God or people and wound up in hell, and it was an awful place. 
So when I, I see Jesus with the piercings in his hand, it tells me. If the Bible equates, if the Bible says he was pierced for my rebellion, and hey, Mark's had plenty of that. <laughs> I tend to be a rebellious person. If his piercing was for my rebellion, if his crushing was for my sin, if he was whipped so I could be a whole person, if he was beaten so I could be healed, then I have to say my sin was pretty bad. And somebody could say, well, Mark, how do we get in this mess? And the truth, this is one of the odd truths that the Bible just like opens up for us because people want to understand life. Here's one of the things the Bible teaches us. The Bible says we were born in this mess. At the moment that our federal parents, Adam and Eve, chose to go against God, they like passed it on like a disease to everybody who has ever been born. So when I see the piercings in Jesus' hand, you know, Thomas, his disciple, after Jesus rose from the grave, he said, unless I can see the nail prints in his hands, I won't believe. But he saw them. They were there. Why? Because my sin is worse than I think it is. Now, but here's the good part. Those piercings tell me about God's awesome love for you and me. If I were God, I'm just telling you straight. I I have three sons. I would not give any of my sons for my closest friend. To let one of my sons go through what Jesus went through, there's nothing in the world that would compel me to do that. But here's what the Bible says. Listen to this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Do you realize that God sent Jesus to die for people who flip him off? Even when we were rejecting God, God sent his only son into the world to die in our place. Man, if I'd been God and this world got messed up, if Adam and Eve had taken the perfect environment that I gave them and they messed up and then, you know, they passed it on to everybody. I mean, after all, what kind of investment does God have? He just spoke this place into existence when he got ready to make a man. He sculpted dust out of the ground, blew his breath into him. It wasn't like God had some huge investment in this. It was just his will. It was just his plan. If I'm God, I'm saying, let the world spin out into a black hole somewhere if it's going to cost my son. See, People sometimes ask me, does a person really have to accept Jesus? I mean, aren't there other religions? Aren't there other ways to God? And that's popular, cosmopolitan, politically correct view to have. It doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Could I ask you a question? Two questions, really. Number one, if there was another way, why would God put his son through what he put him through? And number two, if somebody else has a way to God, you owe it to yourself to be academically honest enough to ask yourself, on what basis? If Mohammed can get you to heaven, then you need to ask, on what basis? If Confucius can get you to heaven through his teachings, you must ask, on what basis? If following your own religion and being your own God and being the American thing and saying, well, it really doesn't matter what you believe, I think as long as you're a nice person, then I've got to ask you a question. If you say you're going to heaven, and that is on what basis? Man, you ask me, on what basis do I know I'm going to heaven? And I can tell you the answer to that. You know those piercings? 
that blood that came out of his body, I'm going to heaven on that basis, on that basis alone. And the love that God had for you and me. That's why the Bible says he's not willing that anybody should perish. Say, well, Mark, I don't know how a loving God could let somebody go to hell. Let me tell you what, I don't know how a loving God can put his son on a cross to keep you out. That's what I don't know. That's what I don't understand. See, sin is just so much more serious than we think it is. But God loved you so much that Jesus died in your place. In effect, here's what happened. When Jesus died on the cross, his punishment in those six hours, or even longer than that, became the equivalent of your suffering in hell for eternity. You remember how our sin equaled his piercing? Well, our punishment equaled his suffering the way God saw it. And the cool thing about it, is that as we read a few moments ago, our sins were placed on Jesus and God punished him as though he were guilty of our sins. That's why Isaiah said, hey, we thought he was suffering for his own sins, but we saw he was suffering for ours. And then that perfect life that you and I couldn't live was clicked and dragged over to us. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, you've got to understand this is a long time ago, Status for a sixth grade boy was being a patrol boy. And there were only like six of us in a large elementary school. And the teacher had asked me if I would consider being a patrol boy. You had to have excellent academics. You had to have you know, great citizenship. You had to have proven leadership. And so she asked me, would you consider being a patrol boy? And my dad said, well, I, we've got a lot of traveling to do. I just don't know if you're going to be able to commit to that because there was time before school and after school, so I had to tell her no, I couldn't. But there was a kid I went to school with whose name was David. David and I called ourselves cousins because we were really, really close. And his uncle married my aunt. So we just told everybody we were cousins. And we were best friends. And David was a patrol boy, but not only was he patrol boy, he was captain of the patrol boys. We had a lieutenant who had a red insert to the badge. We had a captain who had a blue insert to the badge. And David was it on campus, captain of the patrol boys. At the end of the first six weeks, we got our report cards, and David, I could tell he was really down. He came back to me, and he said, hey, come with me. I said, where are we going? It was after school. He said, we're going to go see Miss Odell. And he told me on the way, he said, hey, man, I got a D. And he said, I'm going to be kicked off the force. And he said, I want, I want to talk to Miss Odell, and I want you to, to take my place on the force. So we went to Miss Odell's office, and he told her, he said, hey, I got a bad grade, and I'd really like for Mark to take my place. And Miss Odell said, great, I, I wanted Mark from the beginning. But David said, no. I'll never forget this. He said, I want him to have my badge. You know, sometimes... The most difficult thing is to watch somebody else succeed, even if it's a close friend where we fell. But I'll never forget that as long as I live. David said, I want him to have my badge. And for the rest of that year, in fact, I still have it someplace, a little, a little, a little you know, small badge made up of that. Hey, listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't just want you to go to heaven. He wanted you to have his record he wants you to have his badge. He wants you to have everything that he deserved. That's why the Bible says you've got an inheritance waiting for you in heaven that will not fade away with time. The love of God. 
the last thing it shows is God's awesome grace. I want you to read with me, please, one more time in Isaiah chapter 53. This is the most astounding text in all the Bible. This is in verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Oh, verse, look at verse 11. When he sees all that is accomplished, that's God the Father. When he sees all that's accomplished by his, that's Jesus' anguish. Listen to this. He will be satisfied. Do you see how frail it is when we think we're going to heaven on the good things that we do? The Bible says that when God looked down from heaven and he saw what Jesus went through, there was a point where God said, paid in full. God doesn't look at Mark and say, hey, I think he has more good things and bad things in his life. I'm going to let him go to heaven. It wouldn't work. My sin would keep me out. Only one sin would keep me out. Boy, I committed that by the time I was probably six days old. In my case, six minutes. But the Bible says that when God looked down from heaven and he saw the anguish that Jesus was going through, God looked down and said, that's enough. That's why Jesus said it's finished. I'm talking to a lot of you today. You've been in church all your lives. And you know what? You have such a hard time accepting the fact that God has forgiven you and that you're on your way to heaven. It's like you come to church and you can hear me talk about this a hundred times. And you say, wow, that was good. Mark said, I'm forgiven. But then you go back out and you say, I really wonder if I'm forgiven. Maybe there's something I still have to do. And you're up and down. You're back and forth. And you're unsettled. And you can't sleep at night sometimes because you're wondering if I would die. Would I really go to heaven? Hey, those piercings in Jesus' hand say that if you've received him, it's all paid for. This, and I'm through. I was at a long day the other day. Mary Alice and I decided to go to get something to lunch. We went over to Bradley Fair. I think we were on the border. (laughs) We ate our meal, and I was getting ready to pay for it. Server came over and had my wallet out already, and the server said, Sir, there were some people over here, (laughs) and they know you. And they paid for your lunch. And I sat there, and I had my wallet out in my hand, and I thought, well, what do I do now? Because I could hand this girl my credit card, I could hand her cash, and she would just say, what am I going to do with that? It's already been paid for. And I remember sitting there thinking, what a freaky feeling. I mean, I've been there, people have been kind to me before, but I'm sitting there thinking, what a freaky feeling. And I did the only thing I could do. I got up and left because I was free to go. And those piercings in the hand of Jesus, what they say is, you're free to go. You're free to live. You're free to, free to be who God created you to be because you're not going to die and go to hell. You're going to go to heaven for eternity. You're free to go. I've talked way too long today, and I've, I've put our schedule in some jeopardy, so I need to, to move quickly, but I've I got to do this before I go. I know, I, I mean, God just sort of convinced me back here that somebody's going to make a big decision right now. It's going to be heaven or hell. It's going to be eternal life, or it's going to be paying for stuff yourself. And for the first time, you've heard 
or maybe for the first time it's been clear in your heart and mind that God did make a way for you to go to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, and it's not through being good, and it's not through being a religion, and it's not through any of the stuff that maybe you've been taught that it is, but you've learned for the first time that God made a way. It's a gift, and you want to receive Jesus into your heart and life because even though he loves you and died for you, you have to endorse the check. That's why the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Have you received that gift? If you haven't, I want you to do it right now. Would you bow your head with me, please? Just repeat this prayer from your heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we've got a worship guide when you came in today. Bottom's detachable. I want you to do something really powerful. If you pray with me, I want you to take the next step, which is to let me know. I mean, the Bible says if you believe, you won't be ashamed. Would you just put your address on there and let me know. Check the box and say, I received Christ as my Savior today. If you'll drop these cards in the, by the boxes at the back door, there's some slotted boxes back there at the bottom of the staircases as well. If you'll put an address on there, I want to get you three easy-to-understand books, booklets, really, that will help you know what you've done today and what to do next. Please do that. Please do that. We're going to receive communion this morning. You know, you're going to get a cup of juice and a piece of bread. And you're going to receive those into your body. And it's not like, it's not receiving Jesus himself. That's a spiritual thing. But it's a it's symbol. The, the juice is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. The bread symbolic of the body that the Bible says was crushed for our sins. And in a few moments, you'll drink the juice and you'll eat the bread, which is a picture of how that you've invited Jesus into your heart and life. And this is what Jesus invented. He wanted us to do this. So when you do this, hey, you're just doing what Jesus wants you to do, okay? Now, who can do this? You can do this if you've invited Jesus into your heart and life. Because you know if you've never accepted him, it won't do any good to drink juice and eat bread any more than it would for you to drink a Diet Coke and eat a sub sandwich. But if you've received him as your Savior and Lord, it's very, very important. It's a great symbol in your life doesn't save you only Jesus can do that but it's a picture it's a remembrance of Jesus and how he did save you you say well Mark I'm not a member of New Spring is it okay hey if you know Jesus you're part of us today I mean just call us family after all we're going to spend eternity together okay you just enjoy it with us celebrate with us our men are going to come down and serve the congregation would you just hang on for a few moments the team is going to the team is going to prepare our hearts through a song that God has given Lance and them. Just hang on for a few moments and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper together.